according to His promise. We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again, if you would, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3, as we got a good start on a new chapter last week. Hebrews chapter 3. Picking up where we left off and uh, considering Jesus. Considering Jesus. And uh, the blessings that we have to be holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, being faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also in all his house. Before we begin this morning, let's take a moment for silent prayer and Invite our Father to take hold of our thinking, to humble us under the authority of truth, shall we pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth indwelling each one of us, Father, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, I thank you for the living and abiding word of God that today this word is going to come alive as we take it in. It's going to dwell richly within each one of us. I thank you, Father, for the living and abiding word of God, which accomplishes its work in we who believe. So, Father, we're here by faith to let your word do the work. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, and so uh, a week ago, as we met, we dealt with the holy brethren, and the partakers of a heavenly calling. And there's much more to do on this. I tell you, we could, we could spend weeks and weeks just centering on partakers with the Metacoid doctrine and the aspects there. I'm just going to very briefly touch on what we dealt with a week ago and move on. There's no time for review in a format such as this. But understand that we are the ones that are uniquely suited to consider Jesus, all right? Uh, the, the Jews considered Jesus as they anticipated him. Uh, in the Old Testament, believing Jews would consider him as they looked for and waited and, and dreamed about the day that Messiah was coming. And so as, as an Old Testament believer receiving an exhortation like this, they could apply to a limited extent. They could apply uh, the, the verb to consider and they could think about the, the Messiah that they hoped would come someday. And even a Gentile could consider Jesus in the future, could look forward to a coming Redeemer. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last will take his stand. And, and so a Gentile could consider Jesus looking forward under Old Testament prophecies and uh, from the very seed of the woman promise that uh, Messiah is going to come someday and crush the serpent's head. So Old Testament believers had a limited capacity to look forward and consider the Messiah that was promised. You and I, on the other hand, have amazing blessings. We are considering Jesus, not looking forward, but looking back, and also looking presently at where He is now. So we are uniquely suited to consider Jesus. Why? Because we are holy brethren. Why? Because we are partakers of a heavenly calling. And since Jesus is seated in the heavenlies, seated at the Father's right hand, all the doctrine we've learned in chapters 1 and 2 validates the blessings that Jesus Christ is seated at the Father's right hand, waiting until such time as the Father makes His enemies a footstool for His feet. Right? That's the whole impact of the first two chapters. That we have a victorious Savior seated at the Father's right hand. He accomplished everything He was given to do in First Advent. To which of the angels did He ever say, sit at my right hand? None of them. So we have a Savior seated at the Father's right hand. We have a merciful and faithful high priest. That's the big picture here in these early chapters. And so since He is sitting there in heaven... We are uniquely suited because we are also partakers of a heavenly calling. We get to consider Jesus in a way that no Old Testament believer ever could. And we presently consider him presently the apostle and high priest of our confession. So those are the verses we dealt with a week ago, showing our sanctified status as brethren, showing our partaking 
of a heavenly calling. The term is metakoi. In the plural, metakos in the singular, there are pastors, there are books that, that focus on metakoi quite a bit. And if you've ever been exposed to Jody Dillo, you've been exposed to a lot of metakoi doctrine over the years. And if you have, and if you have questions for me, come talk to me after class, because I'm not as Dillo-ish as some folks want me to be. And so there's there's things that we want to kind of we want to paint with a finer brush, I think, than the Dillo brush. And uh, I won't go into that this morning, but if you have questions, Wednesday night would be a good opportunity to do that. This is the first reference to the recipients of Hebrews in the second person, where he's speaking to them, he's speaking to his audience. In chapter 1 and 2, he includes himself. The author very much prefers the first person plural. He likes to include himself and say, let us do this. We should do that. Let us be on the alert. And there's a lot of we and us references in the first person plural in the, throughout the book of Hebrews. All right, uh, But here it's definitely in the second person. The author is talking to his readers, to you, therefore, holy brethren, and uh, partakers of a heavenly calling. So this is the first of several times that they are called brethren. Medicoi partakers are significant in Hebrews, and as Jesus partook of the human nature, so we partake of His nature. We partake of heaven. We partake of Christ. We partake of the Holy Spirit. We partake of discipline in chapter 12. We partake either of milk or of meat in, uh, in chapter 5. All right, now, we've got to talk about the apostle and high priest of our confession. What is our confession and what does it mean to consider? We're going to take some time this morning to consider what it means to consider. And if we do that well, then um, we'll, we'll be partway along the way. Because there's a lot of different ways you can consider something. And there's a lot of different words that uh, are used in the Greek to apply that are often translated as consider, and yet they're widely different in their in their emphasis. And so, to be able to show that uh, those shades of, of distinction, we will uh, look at our color wheel this morning. But uh, considering everything that went into preparing him, think about his present office. Okay, that's my paraphrase and restatement of verse one, when it says therefore. What's the therefore, right? And there's several different therefore words, and this is not one of the normal ones. This is not hati, and this is not un, and this is not any of our normal therefores. This is a, a, a rare one called hothen. Hothen. And there's a lot, you can pack a lot into a hothen. And uh, I believe we're packing two full chapters into this hothen, all right? Considering everything that went into preparing him. We've had two chapters that described how awesome our Savior is how faithful he is, what he did, and where he is now, right? And so that's, that's useful. We should be useful. We should be thankful to the grace of God that brought us to where we are, okay? And then say, all right, here's where we are. Where are we going next? What are we doing now? And we're not just going to rest in what brought us here. What brought us here is getting us ready to do what we're supposed to do now that we're here. And so what brought Jesus to the Father's right hand? What's he doing now? When he said, sit at my right hand, he didn't say, don't do nothing. Okay? Jesus is very active at the right hand of God the Father because it's there that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus is actively functioning as the head of the church. And this is uh, an active role we want to consider. All right. So considering everything that went into preparing him, think about his present office the apostle and high priest of our confession. And we've done many homologia studies before, but typically when we talk about homologia, we're talking 1 John 1, 9. We're talking confession of sin. And we get that. And so we see the word homologia, and as good doctrinal believers, we want to immediately just jump right to rebound and, and, and take it from there. Wait a minute. There's a whole lot more that goes into a homologia, that goes into a confession. And yes, the prayer function, when we state what God states about our sin, and when we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, that is a, a perfect application, and I'm not going to deny that here today, but this is not that, okay? Hebrews 3 is not 1 John 1, 9. 
the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now we're talking about a confession that is our um, doctrinal statement, our constitution, our, um, think of it as our creed, right? The apostles' creed, the Westminster creed, the, you know, the, there have been different creeds throughout church history. There's different confessions. The Westminster Confession of Faith is one such confession, okay? And there's others. Um, we don't highlight a lot of them because we're not liturgical and we're not denominational and we're not bound by any particular uh, confession of, of church history. But it comes from this term, homologia, a term that's used six times in the Bible, only once in a 1 John 1, 9 kind of way. And the other times I find interesting, especially the ones here in Hebrews, but uh, even in, in uh, uh, 1 Timothy, when Paul talks about Jesus, who himself made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate. So if Jesus made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate, what's that? <laughs> okay, Because Jesus wasn't doing rebound. He wasn't confessing his sins. He was sinless. But he made the good confession in the presence of Pontius Pilate. And that's our clue for what our confession is because Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so that's what we're told to do here. Consider him. And consider him, consider his faithfulness. And it's going to be his faithfulness that's going to be emphasized in these early verses. Verse 2 talks about being faithful as Moses was faithful. Verse 5 talks about Moses being faithful as a servant, but Jesus faithful as a son in verse 6. And uh, that's really the the structure that introduces the remainder of chapter 3. In chapter 4, we've got our confession once again. 4.14 of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great great high priest, since we have him, what are we going to do with him? (laughs) Okay, well, have you been considering him? Consider what it means that this is who he is and this is who we are. Now what do I do? Okay, you ever wonder about that? Dogs are barking, they're chasing cars, and you ever wonder, what are you going to do if you catch that car? You know, it's just, it, it boggles the mind. I don't think the dog himself knows right? What's he going to do if he ever catches the thing? Well, consider what you have, now what do you do with it? The apostle and high priest of your confession, what are you doing with your confession? What are you doing? Since he's the high priest, what are you doing in your priesthood, is what we're saying here. Because our confession is our Melchizedek priesthood. This is our spiritual work of service in the the heavenly places, in Christ. So are we considering it? Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The imperative is to hold fast. And we're going to get that imperative again and again and again. We don't want to throw away our priestly function. The the readers of this epistle were on the verge of throwing away their priestly function in Christ. And I believe it's because they used to be priests in Aaron. They used to be Aaronic priests, Levitical priests in the Old Testament. And then they get brought into the church age. We're told that a great number of priests were brought into the body of Christ in the book of Acts. But now they're in danger of falling away. Now they're in danger of going back to an Old Testament way of thinking. And that's what they're being warned against. And we likewise are warned against uh, apostasy, against falling away from our priestly function in Christ. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So you got some struggles, you got some weaknesses, great. That's not an excuse to fall away. Are you kidding me? We've got a high priest that knows everything we're going through because he went through it. So hold fast. We're part of a confession. We're part of a priesthood. In, in the Old Testament, the high priest went in there all by himself. In, in the Melchizedek priesthood in Christ, he went in before us, but he brings us all there. We all enter within the veil that is his flesh. What a blessing. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This whole doctrine is going to empower our prayer life. This whole doctrine is going to ignite prayer in a way that nothing else can because it's our confession and we hold fast our confession. Chapter 10 and verse 23. 
Not only do we hold fast our confession, not only does it ignite our prayers, but it then puts a stick in our hands so that we can poke one another with a sharp stick. Hebrews 10, 23. Since we have all this, backing up to verse 19, therefore, brethren, in that brethren language, it's used again and again and again and again. We're talking to believers in Jesus Christ. Don't ever fall for it if someone tries to tell you that, well, they were just professing, they're not really saved. He calls them brethren, he calls them partakers of Christ and partakers of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, since he's been given us all this, what do we do with it? Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Isn't that beautiful? We hold fast, not based on our own faithfulness, based on his faithfulness. See, it's his faithfulness. This is our confession. And let us consider. It's a different kind of consider, but it's still a consider. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's the sharp pointed stick. That's the ox goad. This is what, uh, if you're driving an ox cart, this is your accelerator pedal. This is the, the sharp stick in the hindquarters of the oxen that says we need to speed up. We need to go faster. And the oxen feels the jab and gets the point and goes faster, all right? That's what we do with one another. We stick each other. It's a goad in love. Let us consider how to goad one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking rapture doctrine. And we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 10. The episunagoge is the rapture doctrine of uh, our super assembly with the Lord in the air, as is the habit of some. Okay. And so this is our confession. Now, this thinking is going to be intensified with a different verb and a different verb tense in Hebrews 12. So in chapter 3, we're just going to consider him in the aorist tense. In chapter 12, we're going to consider him in the present tense. We're going to continuously consider him. And uh, we're going to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you're on the verge of throwing it all away, if you're on the verge because of weariness, you're on the verge of losing heart and just walking away, quitting whatever, quitting your ministry, quitting your church, quitting your marriage, quitting your job, whatever it is, if it's, a, if it's a weariness and a losing heart and the temptation to just walk away and, and throw it all away, consider Jesus, okay? That's your prime directive at that point. Fix your eyes on Jesus and consider Him. Consider what He endured. Consider what He endured and He didn't walk away. He did not, I mean, the devil was tempting Him, the, the soldiers were tempting Him, taunting Him, saying, come down from there, come down from there. And thank God He didn't come down. He didn't come down. They took his dead body off when he was done. Okay, He didn't come down. And that's uh, something to rejoice over. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Alright, now the idea of considering, again, this is where uh, we don't do a lot of exegesis this hour. We do more in the early hour and on Wednesday nights and and that, but so we don't do a lot, but we do have homologia. Uh, it is Strong's number 3588. If you want to do a word study on that basis, you'll find six New Testament uses, including three from Hebrews. And, uh, and that, but um, this is the kind of thing you look at, you, you realize, you know, it's kind of like love, right? I mean, who can understand love? But when you read love, you then recognize that, well, some of those love verses are agape verses, and some of those love verses are phileo verses. And we've learned over the years that we don't want to mix up our agapes with our phileos, right? We don't want to mess up uh, other terms for love, sexual love and family love and other, other kinds of love. 
So that becomes important. And we recognize that in a doctrinal Bible church, we're teaching from the Greek and the Hebrew and the original languages. That's what we do. Well, it's the same thing with consider. You know, in the, this is a wheel, color wheel based upon the New American Standard Bible. And in the New American Standard Bible, there are a lot of different expressions, words and phrases that are all translated. Every single one of them is translated with consider. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so including, uh, and they're proportionate, the colors are proportionate. So when you start there with logizomai is the biggest one, and then hegeomai is the second one. And then the third one, katanoeo, it's uh, colored orange there at uh, eight o'clock on the clock, right? The, the big blue one at five o'clock is the largest of them all. Okay. That's logizomai. In fact, here's what we can do. We can bring it up in the software itself, not just look at a slide. And so that's what this color wheel does in the software. And I love this. I'm a visual guy, so I like to see visually. And then, and then once I see it visually, then I try to process. Um, and so all of these different words from logizomai to hegetmai to katanoeo to kataoxio, echo, axiao, erotao, all these other expressions, right? And um, including some pretty little ones over here. Uh, but logizomai. And so if you click on any one of them, then it kind of flies out and uh, you can scroll down and it kind of shows you uh, what those verses are. Eight out of the 38 consider verses use logizomai. And these are those eight verses. So uh, it has nothing to do really with our study today uh, other than to say that the word we're looking at in Hebrews 3 is not logizomai. Okay? So, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, we do have verses where con- we uh, are familiar with, like Romans 6, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a consideration, right? To legizomai, reckon yourself. Legizomai, we normally, it's called reckon or impute. God is not, uh, he reckons God's righteousness to us and our sins to Christ. That's legizomai, okay? I consider the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. That's Romans 8, 18. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Okay, uh, Chapter 11, I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. Or Hebrews eleven 19, we'll get to this in chapter 11 of the Hall of Fame of Faith. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. I think he had the knife in his hand uh, probably in a downward motion as far as I can tell. Okay, And Yahweh said, stop. And when Abraham was sacrificing Isaac, this was his thought process. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. (laughs) Okay? Abraham, that's how he balanced it. That's how he reconciled it. He put the thinking into the doctrine and said, uh, there's, there's global blessings through this promised son. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, God said, kill him. Okay. And so he cycled the doctrine and walked by faith and said, if God wants me to do this, God is able to bring him back to life. And that's what he logizomide. That's what he reckoned. That was his logical thinking on logizomai. So we have that. Logizomai, uh, if you want to think logically or think uh, in etymology where we get kind of the word logic, there you have it. That's not our word this morning. Hegeamai. Here's another word for consider. Uh, I consider myself fortunate. Uh, Christ considered me faithful, putting me into service. Um, Sarah received the ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life. She considered him faithful who had promised. Um, Moses, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Or James 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That might be a favorite for a lot of us. Okay, That's hegeamai. And that's a different thinking word. And that's a thinking word that actually speaks of leadership. It speaks of, uh, there's other uh, images that, that come across uh, your thinking with hegeamai, to be a leader. Consider it all joy. Or Peter says, I consider it right to stir up your mind by way of reminder. That's Peter's leadership to remind his readers of what he had taught them. All right, then we get our third term for consider. And that's what we have today. We have it today in Hebrews 3.1 to consider Jesus. We're going to have it again in chapter 10. 
when which we just saw a moment ago to uh, consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Jesus used it twice. It's recorded by Luke in Luke chapter 12, verse 24 and 27. Consider the ravens, consider the lilies. For they neither sow nor reap nor have a storeroom nor barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And to me, that's pretty cool. To me, that, that, that kind of paints this whole kata noeo. You know, noeo is a thinking word. The noose is your mind. Noeo means to think. And so if you're thinking, and then kata means down. So it's either an intensifier or it's a downward motion. So you want to nail your thoughts down, if that helps. Just consider this. Consider this. If you've got a, if you've got a bunch of thoughts rattling around in your head, well then, pin this down. <laughs> okay? And think about this. Consider this. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Consider the lilies. They grow, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Consider. Nail this down. And uh, you have it there. All right. There's others. I'm not going to take you into kat oxiao. Oxiao is a worthiness term, and kat oxiao is an intensification on that, to consider worthy. Um, there's an ana lagizamai, there's an ana theoreo. There might be one, there's noeo for thinking, consider what I say. Even nekrao, that's combined with uh, consider your dead body. Consider your calling, that's blepo, crino, poieo. All right. thought there might be one more I was going to... Nope, that's it. Back to our slides. Consider. Consider Jesus. Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. Consider Jesus. All right. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Considering everything that went through preparing him, consider where he is now. What does it mean that he's the apostle and high priest of our confession? Because that's the rest of the book of Hebrews. That's our priesthood in Christ. All right. Now, being faithful. Being faithful. Uh, I really want to stress the continuous nature of this participle uh, when we cross from verse 1 to verse 2. Um, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, being faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also in all his house. Being faithful. Now, here's the biggest thing we've got to get out of being faithful it's present tense. Being a faithful one to the appointing one. Being a faithful one to the appointing one is a present tense reality for the apostle and high priest of our confession. I think sometimes people read verse 1 and verse 2 and they misread it and they look back to how faithful he was in his earthly life. They look back to a past tense faithfulness. And they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they just go, wow, Jesus was so faithful, was faithful. This verse doesn't say he was faithful. This verse says he is faithful, being faithful, okay? Right now, I'm being, um, careful, I'm being expressive, I'm being redundant, I'm being repetitive, I'm being plug your own adjective in there, but I'm presently being that. I'm being an explaining one to illustrate what a present participle is like for being. This is a participle of being and it is a present participle of being. So consider Jesus. It does not say, we do not consider how he was faithful 2,000 years ago in his first advent. Nothing wrong with that, but that's not what this verse is saying. Okay? We consider him presently being the faithful one. Presently being the faithful one. So, being a faithful one to the appointing one. See, that's another participle. Um, to him who appointed him. That's the Father. 
right? Jesus was constantly talking about he who sent me, he who sent me. You do not listen to he who sent me. Jesus was constantly serving the Father and highlighting the fact that they weren't, uh, they weren't listening to the Father, that him who sent me, him who sent me. And, and he did that throughout his first advent. He's still doing it. Seated at the Father's right hand. He is still being faithful to him who appointed him. To he who appointed. Okay? So we consider him presently being the faithful one. Presently being the faithful one. By the way, is this not what we just read in Hebrews 10, uh, 23? His faithfulness? I mean, we were just there, right? Hebrews 10, 23. What did it say? Were you listening? Was I listening? All right. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised used to be faithful. Oh, is faithful. Okay. He who promised was faithful back in his earthly ministry 2,000 years ago. It's not what it says. He who promised is faithful. Right here, right now, today. Seated at the Father's right hand, he is faithful. We are in him. We are with him. We are in the heavenly places in Christ. We have confidence to enter through the veil that is his flesh. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. For he who promised is faithful. We can stop holding fast when he stops being faithful. How about that? Okay? And let us consider how to stimulate one another. We can give up on that when he quits being faithful. How about that? See, it's a trick question. He's never going to stop being faithful. Okay? He is eternally faithful. And so the present tense. And you know, I started to study this and I started to think, you know what? There are a lot more passages than I ever realized that are talking about his faithfulness in the present tense, his faithfulness in the here and now. Not that he was faithful 2,000 years ago. He certainly was. I can read that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But how about all these other passages that are stressing his present faithfulness here and now and why that makes a difference in how I live my Christian walk here and now? So are you ready? I'm going to surprise you like I surprised myself, like the Lord surprised me when he showed me some of these things, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9. And think of this in the present tense. And ask yourself, is it wrong to think of this in the present tense? Wait a minute. Is, there some, is this passage saying more than I ever thought this passage was saying? When I recognize that Hebrews 3.1 and Hebrews 10.23 are present tense for Jesus' present faithfulness, Look at this. God is faithful. Present tense. Through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son. Well, guess what? I think that fellowship is centered in faithfulness. <laughs> he is faithful. Through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So if our fellowship is not centered on faithfulness, I don't think we can call it faith fellowship. That is a present tense fellowship. God is faithful. Same thing in 10.13, which we saw last hour with our testing. No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man, right? It's on our refrigerators. It's on our bathroom mirrors. We have little uh, knickknacks from Family Christian store that has God is faithful, right? He will not tempt you beyond that which you're able to bear, but God is faithful. Present tense. He's always been faithful. He is faithful now. He will always be faithful. He can't stop being faithful. But what saves me in my test today is the present tense, God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. He keeps giving you ability anyway. And with the temptation, God provides the ekbasis, the victorious conclusion, so that you can not bail on your problems, but endure them for the glory of Jesus Christ. Present tense. How about Ephesians 1.1? 1, 1? It's present tense. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Think about that. 
This is not only is it Christ's present faithfulness, it's our present faithfulness. We're in Christ. If He's presently faithful, should we not be faithful ones? We should be. Because He's the faithful one. And we're in Him. And so there's a present faithfulness not only for Christ, but a present faithfulness for us. And when we take all of this back to Hebrews, we're going to see that that's the key to our priesthood in Christ. That He is the apostle and high priest of our confession, and it's His faithfulness that we enter into when we walk by faith. When we're walking by faith and not by sight. When we're walking by faith and not by works. When we are walking by faith and exercising our New Testament priesthood, not trying to fall into legalism or some kind of an Old Testament priesthood to earn and deserve something. Because we don't earn and deserve anything. I deserve the lake of fire. That's, uh, that's fallen humanity. How about uh, Colossians 1 2? To the saints and faithful brethren, present tense. We are presently sanctified ones, and we are presently faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Find that very much a parallel with Ephesians 1 1. It's a present tense faithfulness. About 1 Thessalonians 5 24. Back to Christ again on this one. 1 Thessalonians 5 is so practical. It's a, it's a roller coaster of imperatives. The whole chapter is saturated with imperatives. Starting off, I mean, you got rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything, give thanks. Goes on with do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. I mean, you got an outline here for how to walk a victorious Christian walk. It goes on to say, uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that whole chain of imperatives live that all day, every day until you hear the trumpet, until he brings us home. And then it says, faithful is he who calls you. That's present tense. He is faithful. He is seated at the Father's right hand. If, if, if we sin, we've got an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is faithful. Faithful is he who calls you. He will also bring it to pass. His faithfulness. Man, I, I just, I love that. How about 2 Thessalonians 3.3? 3, 3? 2 Thessalonians 3, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverts. <laughs> we don't use that word anymore, but uh, perverse and evil men for not all have faith. But the Lord is is faithful present tense not you know way back in the day not two thousand years ago not during his first advent he is faithful today and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one okay now understand i'm stressing the present tense of jesus current faithfulness today i'm not telling you it's wrong to go back to his past faithfulness it's not at all wrong to look back to the gospels and be appreciative we're going to do that in communion right we're going to take part in the bread and the cup and we're going to reflect on his past faithfulness of course nothing wrong with that just understand that that past faithfulness is still at work he is faithful today if anything the more we are appreciative of his faithfulness in the past it just I think it just magnifies it even more that he remains faithful today. How fun is that? And so he will. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen. He will protect you from the evil one. You know, the whole point to this, I think, is is useful because if he is not faithful today, then why bother praying to him? <laughs> you know? Do you do you ask things of an unreliable person? And if you ask things of an unreliable person, uh, do you have much expectation that it's going to happen? Okay. But if you ask of a faithful person, that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? So we go to him in prayer and we ask, and is he faithful? So back to confession again, rebound. If we confess our sins, he doesn't think about it or flip a coin or decide whether we deserve it or not. 
that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Present faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 and verse 13. More present faithfulness. And this I like too because I started to look at this to say, wait a minute, this is grounded in Jesus' present faithfulness. How do I identify faithful men who will be able to teach others also? Well, it's because of the faithfulness, the present faithfulness of Jesus. See, it's all centered in present faithfulness. And I think verse 2 and verse 13, it's curious to me, the really the basis for our local church seminary is right here in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It's present faithfulness. And thankfully, if we are faithless, verse 13, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So we, we entrust these to faithful men, but we recognize that the faithfulness is Christ's faithfulness, not their human effort. The faithfulness is the grace of God that allows us in our ministries to be faithful. Also, by the way, this is the chapter that talks about, um, in verse 4, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's the concept right there where Jesus is faithful to the one who appointed him. He is the faithful one to the appointing one. And that principle jumps out at you there in 2 Timothy 2.4. And then again and again in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1.5, talked to a guy the other day and he never reads Revelation. He used to, he did years ago, he quit. He uh, never turns to it at all anymore because it was just so complicated and it's just, you know, you can't make sense of it anyway and it's just all, it's kind of fearful and, and doesn't want to think of those kind of things. And so doesn't pay attention to it. I mean, he knows it's back there in the back of the Bible with the concordance and the other maps and helps and stuff, but he rarely gets there, doesn't like it. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. It's a marvelous book. And there's a promise that you're blessed if you read it. And uh, it's, uh, it's curious to me. I mean, I don't think there's a book of the Bible that you won't be blessed if you read it, but this one says so. Out of the 66 books in our Bible, this is the one that says you're blessed if you read it. That just, that kills me. All right. And so, yeah, people are afraid of it. They don't want to read it. But here is some, some beautiful references to our Savior. In Revelation 1.5, we talk about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Not the guy that used to be faithful 2,000 years ago. He's faithful today. Yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same. Jesus, the faithful witness. He is, we know it's present tense because he is issuing the greetings. It's grace to you and peace from presently, right now, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Presently faithful today. Chapter 3 and verse 14. The angel of the church and to the messenger, to the angelos of the church of Laodicea, right? Or to the pastor of the church of Laodicea, right? The amen. What do you think that name's about? The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. It's not the guy that used to be faithful. It's the guy that is eternally faithful. The amen, the faithful and true witness says this. And finally, 1911, when he comes on a white horse to conquer. This is so great. Revelation 1911, we talked about this. <laughs> all right. He comes to be marveled at among all who believe. And what a day this is going to be. Okay? It can't be today because we've got at least seven years of tribulation before this can happen. We've got the rapture still to happen. We've got the signing of a covenant, the unveiling of Antichrist. There's a lot of things that have to happen before Revelation 19 can happen. But when it does, what, what a day that's going to be. I saw heaven open to behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. Isn't that beautiful? It's not he used to be faithful. This is his name. 
This is him, present tense faithfulness. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, on his head are many diadems. You know, he's, he's dressed for battle here. This is not the chapter one uniform that he was wearing. He was in a priestly garment in chapter one. That's, this is battle. And uh, clothed with a robe dipped in blood, his name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is us. This is us, fine linen, the righteous acts of the saints. We were following him on white horses. And I confess, last hour, I'm, I'm not a horseman. I've ridden a horse maybe five times in my life. And every time has been basically a very safe um, trail ride, essentially. The, the horse was smart enough to follow the horse in front of him, in front of the horse in front of him, and they're just kind of a little thing and went on a little thing and came back and we were done. And uh, anyway, thankfully though, the battle is the Lord's. <laughs> Not ours. As the sword comes out of his mouth, we, uh, we're going to stand there and marvel. Marvel at those who believe, okay? And so uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and tread, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Anyway, his name is called Faithful and True. He who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And so when we focus here in Hebrews 3 and we're told to consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, being faithful to him who appointed him. The being faithful is present tense, contemporaneous with our considering him. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, being faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Moses' faithfulness, all right? Moses is a forerunner. Moses is a pattern, but Christ is the fulfillment. Moses was faithful. God, uh, Jesus is faithful. Moses' faithfulness. Moses' uh, faithfulness was affirmed by God. In fact, the author of Hebrews here is alluding to uh, an obscure passage. I say obscure. Um, you read Numbers all the time, so I'm sure you're very familiar with Numbers chapter 12. All right. Um, also, Deuteronomy, First Samuel, First Chronicles. Again, excuse me if I call that obscure. Uh, we don't often get to Numbers. We don't often get to First Chronicles. And yet, again and again and again, the Old Testament is pinpointing Moses' faithfulness. Moses' faithfulness was affirmed by God in the law, in a context that spotlighted Moses' unique place. Unlike anybody else in the Old Testament, Moses stands unique. And so if you've got a unique guy that's painting a very clear picture, and then you've got another unique guy that's more unique than the first unique guy, all right, and you realize that all of that was typology, all of that was shadow doctrine pointing ahead to a prophet like unto Moses that would come, okay? To a prophet, to a priest, to a king. And it's curious to me and I'm almost out of time. We're going to have to go to communion here, but um, I want to see these real quick and then I'll explain. And then, um, and then I'll stall for time because we, we do have uh, communion and I want to wrap this up. When I see Molly on our, our time is up. But uh, Numbers 12, verse 6 says, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. Okay, now Moses was a prophet, but more than a prophet. He was a servant, he was a friend, and he spoke face to face with Yahweh. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. Now this is the scripture, Numbers 12, 7. This is the scripture that the author of Hebrews is using to contrast Moses and Jesus. Faithful in the household. So my servant Moses is faithful in all my household. With him I shall speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord 
Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? And so here's the, here's the Old Testament statement. It's an affirmation of Moses' faithfulness. His office as a prophet, his office as a priest, his office as a king. And it's curious to me, in all these offices, because yes, he was a prophet and more than a prophet. Jesus was a prophet and more than a prophet. Yes, he was a priest, but not allowed to be a priest because he, Moses, in Moses' case, he forsook it and his brother became the high priest. And yet Moses worked with his brother in building the tabernacle and, and in instituting the priesthood, but he never could operate as a priest. Jesus came as a priest, yet not a priest. Uh, he couldn't operate as a priest until he hung on the cross and then he fulfilled his priesthood. And then as a king, I mean, is it fair to call Moses a king? Basically, he was. He was the sovereign dictator. He, was the, the, uh, he, he led Israel out of bondage. He ruled the Jewish nation. But he never had the title king. So with Jesus, he never took the title king. He was entitled to it until it was nailed in a sign above his head at the cross. He never accepted that label. So when you think of Jesus as a prophet, priest, and king, and you think of Moses as a prophet, priest, and king, a lot of... Uh, parallels very easy to, to to see and very easy to explain and so next week we'll start with this we're going to pick up with deuteronomy 18 deuteronomy 34 uh, the priestly functions in first samuel 2 the kingly functions in first chronicles 7 i think all of these feed into hebrews 3 2 all of these and would have been known by the readers would have been known by the recipients when the author of hebrews says Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, being faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. These are the passages that immediately would have come to mind for the readers, the recipients of the book of Hebrew. No question on that. All right. Then we'll uh, discuss the distinction in terms of the builder of a house has more worthy than uh, the house itself. (laughs) All right. And uh, we'll deal with that when we get to verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. You know, houses don't build themselves. And uh, so God's got a plan here. And then finally the warning, whose house we are if or since we hold fast the confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. The, uh, the victory that we have in Christ, it's His faithfulness, not ours. And we'll... Uh, deal with that as well. All right. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for the blessings that we have to study to show ourselves approved. I thank you for Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And I pray, Father, that we would serve him daily on the basis of his faithfulness and uh, on the basis of his faithfulness that we can be a reflection of that in uh, the faithfulness that we ourselves strive to, to maintain day by day and moment by moment. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.